Who are you, Jeff? Introduce yourself. Oh, um, well, my name is Jeff Horwitz, and I'm a reporter for the Wall Street Journal. I've been covering Facebook for the last two and a half years. And if a friend asked you what you've been working on, what would you tell them? So the last few months have been a bit odd. I have uh, had to answer that question with, I can't tell you about that. (laughs) But the next thing I would say is that we had the opportunity of reviewing what I think is the most significant body of information about how Facebook works, how its executives think, and how it's trying to fix some of the problems that it knows its systems cause. I think that's the most significant stuff on that front that I've ever seen. This large number of internal Facebook documents gives us an unparalleled view of how the social media giant operates. The documents were largely written by a group of researchers inside the company whose job it was to study the platform's problems and try to come up with solutions. And Jeff has spent the last several months going through the documents with a team of Wall Street Journal reporters. I'm Keech Hagee. My name is Newly Purdell. I'm Sam Schechner. I'm Justin Sheck. My name is Georgia Wells. When I got my first look at these documents, I was shocked. I was shocked. I was surprised. All of a sudden, the doors were opened. I just kept clicking from one document to the next, and I couldn't believe what I was reading. It covers just such an incredible range of kind of how Facebook interacts with society. This vast collection of research, training videos, many of them are slide decks, back and forth versions of documents sent between senior Facebook executives. The documents have names like understanding the intersection between criminal organizations and human trafficking. Project Daisy launch discussion version presented to Mark. One document is called Apple Escalation. There is teen girl's body image. Another is called Coordinated Social Harm. There was an element of, my God, they, they put that down on paper. From these documents, we've learned new details about Facebook's algorithm and how it's weighted. We've learned how criminals use the platform for human trafficking and how Instagram impacts mental health. Together, these documents show that Facebook knows it's causing harm. And in most cases, the company hasn't taken significant steps to stop it. They also reveal that what Facebook has told the public often isn't the full story. You see a theme in all these documents that Facebook and its top executives know what the problems are, but in many instances can't or won't address them, sometimes because it fears hurting the business or growth. Facebook's stated ambition has long been to connect people, and it has. Facebook has more than 3 billion users, more than a third of the world's population, And the documents show that what happens on the platform has real-world consequences. As the company's platforms become sort of increasingly ingrained in our lives, the decisions they make and the priorities they have is something that affects everybody, even if you don't use the platform. And so even if you aren't on Facebook ever, um, you're still living in Facebook's world. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. This is the first episode of The Facebook Files, an investigative series that will take an unprecedented look inside the $1 trillion social media giant. This is part one, the whitelist. This is something that went deeply wrong. 
And it's something Facebook knew about. And it's something they didn't want to reveal. Coming up on the show, a secret Facebook program that shields millions of its most powerful users from the platform's rules. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Wall Street Journal has reviewed a lot of internal Facebook documents. But right now, we're going to start with just one. It's a text document on a white page, sans serif font. It looks like any other corporate memo. In large text across the top, the title says, AC Priv, the whitelist problem. It was labeled AC Priv, so attorney-client privileged. So definitely not a thing that is supposed to be just floating around, but yet... Here it was. The document is an internal review of a secret Facebook policy known as the whitelist. The policy exempts certain high-profile people from the social network's rules. The document starts with a list of bullet points under the letters TLDR, which stands for Too Long, Didn't Read. It's how Facebook begins a lot of its internal memos. The first bullet point is a quick summary of the program. We are exempting certain people and businesses from our policies and standards. At various stages. The next bullet point starts laying out concerns about the policy. This undermines our fairness and legitimacy efforts, creates legal and compliance risk for the company. Based on an Lower down, the document says, quote, that, that means for a select few members of our community, we are not enforcing our policies and standards. Unlike the rest of our community, these people can violate our standards without any consequences. Wow. So at Facebook, there is a white list of people who can say whatever they want on the platform, violate the rules, and not get automatically kicked off Facebook or have their posts deleted. Yeah. The first time I saw the document, it was just kind of a, like, a whoa situation. When Jeff went to Facebook to ask about the whitelist, a spokesperson acknowledged it exists, but said the company has already identified issues with it and is working to phase out the practice. But why does Facebook have a secret whitelist in the first place? Well, the company didn't exactly intend to create one. It just kind of happened over time. Facebook didn't really begin its life with any rules whatsoever. In Facebook's early days, aside from a ban on things like nudity and harassment, people could post pretty much whatever they wanted. But as more people joined Facebook, the company started adding rules about content it would take down. And if someone violated Facebook's rules, they could have their posts deleted, get suspended, or even kicked off the platform permanently. And these rules kind of grew up, and they started building out the team that was going to enforce them. And the problem they ran into is that they make mistakes. They're human. There are a lot of people on the platform, and some of these things are pretty tricky. So their enforcement mechanisms weren't particularly reliable. There were so many posts to watch that Facebook had to use artificial intelligence in addition to human moderators. 
And every now and then, the company would land in hot water when it would take action against a politician or celebrity's account. For example, in 2014, the singer Rihanna had her account on Instagram, which is owned by Facebook, temporarily shut down after she posted a partially nude photo of herself on the cover of a French magazine. The mistake made headlines, and Facebook had to publicly backtrack. So they needed to have some way to prevent people who were big deals from getting just summarily kicked off the platform or having their content taken down. Facebook's answer to this problem was a system that was internally referred to early on as shielding. Shielding that was supposed to take sensitive accounts and prevent enforcement actions from just taking effect immediately. And athletes, movie stars, politicians, mayors, sometimes academics, like anybody who could really get a lot of attention, they were concerned especially about messing that up. Because, you know, messing up on an average Joe, you know, well, it's unfortunate. You'd like to do better, but, you know, no big deal, right? From the point of view of Facebook, this was like all totally understandable. They had to find a solution, and this was the most ready thing at hand. At some point, someone came along and said, shielding fancy people doesn't sound great, guys. And so they decided they wanted to stop using the name shielding. The document we mentioned earlier, AC Priv, the whitelist problem, as well as other documents Jeff saw, say that at this point, Facebook rebranded it. Instead of calling it shielding, Facebook started using the name crosscheck. And so they, they changed that name to crosscheck, right, to try to emphasize that this was supposed to be quality control. Cross-check, meaning like someone's going to cross-check a decision that a moderator has made about deleting a post. Yeah, exactly. And as time went on, cross-check grew more elaborate and more unwieldy. And so how do people get added to this cross-check program? Well, for a long time, the answer was however anyone felt like it. Jeff says that most Facebook employees had the power to add someone to cross-check. And the program grew so large that so many posts were getting flagged from so many cross-checked accounts that it became impossible for the company to review them all. And when they did delete posts or disable someone's account, they were still making mistakes. The company said they estimate they mess up around 10% of the time. And so the only way to ensure that they didn't make bad enforcement calls against powerful people was to not make any enforcement calls at all. And that became known as whitelisting. They would exempt people who were considered sensitive for any number of reasons. They were famous, they were athletes, they were powerful, or the family members of people who were powerful. And they would give those people partial or complete exemption from Facebook's rules. Jeff says at least 45 teams across the company were keeping their own individual whitelists. According to the documents, the lists include prominent figures like Donald Trump and his son Donald Trump Jr., conservative author Candace Owens and Senator Elizabeth Warren. Even Mark Zuckerberg himself is whitelisted. At one point, at least 5.8 million accounts were either part of the cross-check program or on a whitelist, meaning they were completely exempted from Facebook's rules. And these accounts ran the gamut. If you were over a certain size and like kind of considered a public figure, you were going to have it. And so that actually applied to animal influencers. 
Really? Yeah. So um, Doug the Pug, very popular on Instagram, way more popular than you or me, Ryan. Hey, Doug. Wake up. Happy also very controversial. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I mean, you can never tell what, what Doug the Pug is going to do next, right? The most asked questions I get about Doug include, what does he eat every day? And does he actually eat pizza as his meal? But what about high-profile accounts for people who are also known to spread misinformation, like authoritarian dictators or people with large followings who just spread conspiracy theories? Were they also included on this list? Yeah, if you were over a certain size, it was going to give you some protection. Because of this protection, powerful users were able to post things like hate speech or incitements to violence, and it would stay up. Can you give me an example of how this has played out for a high-profile person? Yeah, a athlete who goes by the name of Neymar. He is a Brazilian soccer player, one of the world's most famous soccer players. Blocked by Lindelof. Neymar! And there's the early goal that Paris Saint-Germain were looking for. Neymar providing the finish. He's, you know, like definitely in the top 20 accounts in the world. Has well over 100 million followers on Facebook and Instagram. In 2019, a woman accused Neymar of rape. Neymar, whose full name is Neymar de Silva Santos Jr., denied the allegations and was never charged. In the course of his denial, he live-streamed a video of himself on Instagram and Facebook. Mas tenho que provar que seja sincero e que seja verdade. He went through messages the woman had sent him, revealing her name and nude photos. That is a no-go on Facebook's platform. That is uh, called non-consensual nudity, a.k.a. revenge porn, like just completely forbidden. And... Facebook's policies on it are very clear, which is that per their operational guidelines, internal documents, the way you handle that is you immediately take down the content, obviously. The next thing you do is you permanently delete the account that posted it, right? Like zero tolerance is the idea. You just can't do this to somebody. And here's the thing. Neymar was cross-checked. Because Neymar was in the cross-check system, Facebook didn't take the usual actions of deleting the offending post and then deleting his account. What happened instead was detailed in a document called Mistake Prevention Incidents Investigation. The Neymar incident appears alongside more than a dozen other incidents that Facebook employees were keeping track of. You know, someone who worked for Facebook saw that this had been posted and basically said, take it down, right? Tried to delete the post. But... They didn't have the authority to do that. The document says that a Facebook employee actually tried to delete Neymar's post on the Saturday it went up, but Facebook's system blocked them from doing it. And for the next 24 hours plus, this video in which Neymar basically showed the world this woman's name and nude photographs of her stayed online. And it was viewed well north of 50 million times. Wow. What happened in the immediate wake of it is that, first of all, the woman was just harassed unbelievably on the platform. The woman was inundated with harassment and bullying online. Facebook removed more than 3,500 accounts of people impersonating her. But Neymar didn't face many consequences for breaking Facebook's rules. Neymar's not just famous. He's really famous. And booting really famous, really photogenic social media stars off your platform isn't really the business Facebook's in. What happened is that after consulting with senior leadership at the company, and they don't specify who, 
they determined that they were just going to take down the post and not actually take down Neymar's account. The Wall Street Journal reached out to Neymar for comment. A representative said that Neymar is just a user of Facebook and adheres to the company's rules like everyone else. Facebook declined to comment on the Neymar incident. So this one piece of revenge porn posted by one soccer player got 50 million views. How is that even possible? So one thing, a feature of the cross-check program that I think was very significant is that when a piece of content was initially found to be likely violating of Facebook's rules, Facebook didn't stop, like, promoting it to other people. The documents show that people inside Facebook actually tried to figure out how many views these kinds of bad posts were getting, posts that would otherwise be taken down if the accounts weren't high-profile and protected by cross-check. And the number they found for 2020 was north of 16 billion. 16 billion views. Views. Of content that should have been taken down. Yeah, content that absolutely, by Facebook's final determination after multiple layers of review, definitely violated their rules, was viewed 16.4 billion times. That's 16.4 billion views of things like hate speech, racism, revenge porn, graphic violence. The number is so large because, remember, these are high-profile accounts with huge numbers of followers. Their posts instantly reach a lot of people. If I'm just a random guy and nobody follows me and I, you know, want to say some really vitriolic things, it's probably not a big deal. Like, people have been doing this on the open internet forever, right? The thing that, when it starts to matter, though, is when an account is important, when it has a following, right? When there's a whole network of people that it can influence. And... As people inside Facebook noted when discussing this program, they were literally applying a lower standard to the people who, when they misbehaved, it was most dangerous. After the break, how the existence of this program undercuts what Facebook tells the world. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. on this stuff. But um, at Facebook, we've tried to distinguish ourselves as being um, really strong in favor of giving people a voice and free expression. Um, and I certainly think our policy is... 
In May of 2020, Mark Zuckerberg appeared on Fox News and defended freedom of speech on the platform. For years, Zuckerberg has publicly emphasized his desire to make Facebook an egalitarian place and a level playing field when it comes to freedom of speech. And he repeated that pledge to host Dana Perino. Um, And I certainly think our policies um, have distinguished us from some of the other tech companies in terms of being um, stronger on free expression and giving people a voice than a lot of others out there. But he said there are rules on Facebook, and those rules are applied equally to everyone. Let me just be clear about what our rules are. Um, You know, we I don't think it's appropriate for Facebook to do fact checking. But we do have clear policies, and um, if anyone violates them, you know, whether you're you know, a high-ranking government official like the president um, or, or anyone on our platform, we, we do have to take action. We will in, enforce, um, you know, no matter who you are on the platform, but, um, but I don't think that those policies... What else has Facebook said publicly about its platform being an equal playing field? Facebook has talked about, you know, the importance of making sure that they're not reinforcing existing power structures. Well, letting someone who is a big shot say things in your platform that you literally wouldn't let a little guy say is obviously inherently not that. It's the exact opposite direction of what Facebook says they're doing. And they've also said, like, consistently for years that even if they might provide a second level of quality control for high-profile accounts— you know, and that, they said they were doing that sort of to protect the sanctity of speech. Marcus said that holding the powerful to account is supposed to be the point of Facebook. Individuals today have more voice, more ability to affiliate with who they want and stay connected with people, ability to form communities in ways that they couldn't before. And I think that that's massively empowering to individuals. And that's philosophically kind of the side that I tend to be on. So, so you know, cross-check is anything but that. Because in the end, this isn't a thing you're doing to make sure that everyone gets a fair shot. This is something that you're doing to make sure you don't upset powerful people. In 2018, Facebook acknowledged the existence of CrossCheck after an undercover reporter for the British TV station Channel 4 discovered the program. But in a press release at the time, Facebook wrote, quote, We want to make clear that we remove content from Facebook no matter who posts it when it violates our standards. There are no special protections for any group, whether on the right or the left. The press release continued, saying the cross-check program, quote, simply means that some content from certain pages or profiles is given a second layer of review to make sure we've applied our policies correctly. But the company has never talked about the whitelist, how there's another layer of protection that exempts certain people from Facebook's rules almost entirely. And the documents show that some Facebook employees were concerned about the unequal treatment caused by this program. This is something that, like, really tortured some of the people who were thinking through this stuff. Nobody thought this was a good look for the company. People argued that they needed it, that they didn't really have any other option. But, like, this wasn't what Facebook was ever promising it was going to do. This wasn't even something Facebook was willing to admit it was doing. And it's something that I think a lot of people had sort of had trouble living with. So in 2019, Facebook conducted an internal audit of the cross-check program, including whitelisting. Jeff has been able to review that audit. By 2019, I think there was enough internal discussion about this that they decided that they needed to at least figure out what the current status of the program was, right? Because people had just been adding names willy-nilly and, you know, there were pretty much no controls. And there were all these different lists and no one knew who was on it or who was responsible for what. So they did an audit. And that audit was pretty damning in its findings. 
which was just that the program was totally out of control, that like they weren't even sure they could even find all of the people who'd been exempted from Facebook's rules because some of them were just like, had just been coded straight into Facebook systems. This finding was spelled out in that document we started with, AC Priv, the whitelist problem. And, uh, you know, just in case anyone was unclear, there's a section titled, Why is this a problem? And the answer is, exempting, aka whitelisting, specific people and entities creates numerous legal compliance PR risks for the company and harms our community. And then it basically says that it is allowing violators to stay on the platform, that it creates particular legal and compliance risks, and... The line there was that whitelist and special exemptions treatments are not publicly defensible. It creates distrust, fuels the narrative that Facebook had biased, and undermines our goal of building legitimacy with stakeholders and community. Importantly, it is a breach of trust. We are not actually doing what we say we do publicly. Recently, Facebook has started to make some changes to crosscheck. One document Jeff saw shows how it's been going. They you know, in a notable description of their progress in March of this year, declared that they were going to basically just block the addition of any new names to cross-check for at least the indefinite future to, quote-unquote, stop the bleeding. Jeff brought his reporting to Facebook earlier this month. This was the company's response. So this is from Facebook spokesman Andy Stone. Criticisms of our execution are fair, but the cross-check system was designed for an important reason to create an additional step so that we can accurately enforce policies on content that could require more understanding. The spokesman said that some posts, like from activists trying to raise awareness about violence or journalists posting from a war zone, need additional review. The response from Facebook continued, A lot of this internal material is outdated information stitched together to create a narrative that glosses over the most important point. Facebook itself identified the issues with cross-check and has been working to address them. We've made investments, built a dedicated team, and have been redesigning cross-check to improve how the system operates. The documents show that Facebook is trying to eliminate the practice of whitelisting. It set a goal of eliminating total immunity for so-called high-severity violations of Facebook's rules in the first half of 2021. So what does this particular story say about Facebook itself as a whole? In some ways, Facebook was really visionary in terms of understanding the future and building something that was kind of a product for a new age of the internet. In other respects, it was exceedingly short-sighted in how it built this thing. And in the case of CrossCheck, right, there was no doubt inside the company this was unacceptable. But that's nonetheless what they built. Over the next several weeks, we'll publish more installments of this series in our feed. Tomorrow, part two of the Facebook files. Internally, there's this growing body of evidence that for many teens, and in particular teen girls, Instagram can be toxic. The series is part of the Journal podcast, a co-production of Gimlet and the Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Kate Leinbaugh and me, Ryan Knudsen. The series was produced by Pia Gedkari, Max Green, and Martin Kessler, with production help from Enrique Perez de la Rosa. This episode was edited by Catherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, and Annie Rose Strasser. Special thanks to Colin Campbell, Anthony Galloway, Mitchell Paselli, Falana Patterson, Lydia Polgreen, Brad Reagan, and Matthew Rose. 
Our engineer is Griffin Tanner. Our theme music is by So Wiley and remixed by Peter Leonard. Additional music in this episode from Blue Dot Sessions and Audio Network. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasolka. Also, thanks to the whole journal team. Priscilla Alabi, Sam Baer, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Desuli, Ricky Novetsky, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Matthew Sherman, Matthew Schiltz, and Nathan Singapak. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.